It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast. My name is Kyle Dabra. What's going on, everybody? Kevin Valentin here on the half of the podcast. Kyle, happy Wednesday, dude. Yeah, I know. Uh, we're recording a couple days early because Kev has got a fun weekend in Orlando this weekend. Despite the fact there's a, there's a hurricane rolling over Florida when we're recording on Wednesday. It'll probably Give pass through break. Thursday. But by the time that you know Friday, Saturday rolls around, uh, Kev is going to be freaking in it when it comes to what we got going at EDC in Orlando this weekend. So, Kev, I know you're going to have a good time over there. Oh, I'm super excited. But my girl also surprised me with Black Panther 2 tickets opening night tomorrow night. So I will be at the movie theater as late as you can be for the opening release for Black Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. So I'm hyped. I'm not going to lie. I appreciate my girl for doing that. She obviously yeah. knows how big of a superhero fan I am. So that's another reason why we're recording on Wednesday instead of Thursday. Um and then, of course, like Kyle said, I'll be gone for the weekend. So uh, trying to get you guys as much content as we can. And boy, do we have an action-packed slate tonight. So what do we got, Kyle? But Before we start, what are your expectations with Black Panther coming out? I'm excited. Let's not let's not sugarcoat it. Um, I've heard the Rotten Tomato score is, is really high. Critics are giving it a really good review. I'm looking forward to how they obviously, you know, rest in peace, uh, do the whole Chadwick Boseman uh, tribute, which I heard that there is one in the movie. Um, at the same time, I want to see how accurate it does follow what I know about Black Panther, which isn't too much. Had to do a lot of homework to really figure out what this story could potentially be about. So overall, as a comic book fan, I'm excited. And of course, as, a, as an overall superhero fan, I'm just looking forward to seeing who um, picks up the mantle of Black Panther next. Yeah, and I'll probably watch it this weekend. I know I have Saturday off from work, so as long as that hurricane doesn't really screw things up around Tampa, I should be able to go see it on Saturday, you know, fingers crossed at this point. But uh, yeah, Kev, let's dive into this agenda. I know we got a lot to go over uh, with week 10 in the NFL. We got a couple games to go over. Uh, we'll go over games like the Seahawks and the Bucks, which that game is actually taking place in Germany on Sunday. So I believe this is actually the first time that there's a game held in Germany. Yeah, it's first I game believe in this is the first time because I know they've had a bunch of games in London over the last couple of years, and they've had a bunch yeah. this year. But it'll be a nice little switch up now that things are actually taking place in Germany. Uh, and having the Seahawks and the Bucks for that game is actually that's a solid game, bro. Absolutely. And then after that, we'll talk about the Vikings and the Bills. Uh, that'll be a very fun game. Uh, you got two teams really at the top of their respective conferences going at it. Uh, we'll see what happens with Josh Allen. He did suffer an elbow injury in that game against the Jets last week, so. That game is really going to be dependent on whether or not that he can play. Uh, Case Keenum would get the start if Josh weren't able to play in that game, but 
we'll just kind of leave that game until we reach it later in the episode. After that, we'll talk about the Cowboys and the Packers. We've got the Chargers and the 49ers. That Chargers 49ers game is actually going to be a fun one on Sunday night. Kev, was that the one that they flexed into this week? Yes. Which is actually another solid move on the NFL's part with that one. I think that was a good move. About time the NFL flexes a damn game. Yeah, there's probably a couple of games that they should have flexed earlier this year, but better late than never, right? Yeah, right. And then after that, uh, we'll basically round out the episode with the Utah Jazz having just a phenomenal start this year. Uh, Their first place in the Western Conference. And really, after that Donovan Mitchell trade where he was sent off to Cleveland, Kev, I think it was fair to say that we expected expected the Jazz to kind of take a backseat in the Western Conference. Uh, They had been a relatively successful team in the Western Conference, but they didn't make any Western Conference Finals appearances. They didn't make any NBA Finals appearances. But they got a lot of young guns at the helm in Utah, and they're making the most of it so far. And we'll talk about whether or not that they can maintain it, not just throughout the first half of the season, but if they can carry it into 2023 and potentially in the playoffs. But I got to respect what they've done so far with the first 10 to 15 games within the season. So that's pretty much what we got in the agenda, you guys. Let's not waste any more time. Kev? Let's go over the Seahawks and Bucks game. All right. So first game in Munich, the Seahawks are six and three. The Bucks are four and five. Both teams in opposite positions in which we both thought these teams would be if we were to start this over and back in August. And uh, Geno Smith is one of the hottest quarterbacks in the league. Tom Brady is looking like he's just absolutely struggling because of the ineptitude of the offensive line in Tampa. So Kyle, this is your boy. This is your favorite player. Do you think that Tom Brady and this cast have an opportunity to upset one of the hottest teams in football in the Seattle Seahawks? Kev, I got to say, it's going to be an uphill battle for the Bucs this upcoming weekend in Germany. And when I look back to that Bucs game against the Rams last week, it was an absolute grind for them. Granted, they did win it. They had a game-winning touchdown with about, I guess, like five to ten seconds left when Brady hit up Kate Otten for that touchdown. But outside of that, that was really their only scoring possession outside of a couple field goals and you know that was just a back and forth game defensively just both the Rams and the Bucks were just in grind mode just to try to get in the field goal range but I'll give credit where credit is due the Bucks got that win but going into this one I'm not so sure that they're going to be they're going to be able to get this one because when I look at the Seahawks and what they've done this year Kev, I think it's safe to say that the Seahawks have been genuinely one of the biggest surprises in the NFL this year, especially with Geno Smith leading the way, who's probably, I would say, at the forefront of the comeback player of the year discussion. He's got to be at least the number one or number two option in that category because ever since he's gotten the start since week one with them, he's been nothing short of phenomenal. Granted, I wouldn't say that he's lighting it up like Patrick Mahomes putting up 300, 400 yards passing and throwing four to five touchdowns, but he's playing just solid, modest football. He's putting up somewhere between 200 to 250 yards passing. He's limiting his amount of turnovers. And by and large, you complement that with what they have in the run game with Kenneth Walker, who is definitely in discussion when it comes to offensive rookie of the year. I don't know if he'll win it, but he's been extremely effective at their running back position this year. And when I look at the matchup of that Seahawks run game going up against the Bucks run defense, I think the Seahawks have a very good chance to be able to effectively run the ball here because this Bucks run defense is not the same compared to years past. They just don't have the same personnel in Tampa in that front four like they had 
maybe during that Super Bowl run in 2020, and maybe even last year. Their run defense was extremely impressive last year, and then this year they really have struggled to contain the run. And you know, despite the fact that their secondary has held up relatively well, teams have been able to run the ball pretty effectively against Tampa's defense. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think the game plan, if Seattle's smart, man, they feed that ball to Kenneth Walker at least 20 to 25 times. And there's a very good chance that he could pull off four to five yards of carry, especially if their offensive linemen hit their protections right and hit their double teams to get up to the second level correctly. And you tie that in with what Geno Smith can do, put up 200 to 250 yards. And the fact that he's not really turning the ball over consistently throughout the year, I think that bodes extremely well in Seattle's favor here. When it comes to Tampa, Tampa's got to show me something where they can be consistent. And I just haven't seen that this year. That game against the Rams was, like I said, an absolute grind. They only scored 17 points in that game. And like you said, Kevin, in the intro, Brady has struggled this year. He's not compounding the issues that Tampa has offensively with turning the ball over. He only has one interception this year. That's the one silver lining to Brady this year. His touchdown to interception ratio is phenomenal. It's just, he just doesn't have a lot of touchdowns to show for it. And it really just underscores the issues that the Tampa Bay Bucks have on their offense altogether. So when I look at this game, I do think that this game is going to be relatively defensive just because I think Tampa's defense is going to be able to step up to contain Geno Smith to where he's not going to torch their secondary. But I'm actually going to favor Seattle in this one over Tampa just because I have more faith in Seattle than I do in Tampa right now. Tampa's got to show it to me and prove it to me more consistently that they could put up at least 20 to 25 points. And they haven't really been able to do that in the last couple of weeks. Seattle has. And I think by and large, Seattle is just a better team at this point. I do think, though, it is going to be a close game, though. I think that this is going to be a one-possession game when it's all said and done. But I think Seattle bumps up to 7-3 and three on the season. I'm going to say they win this game 23-17. to 17. So I think it's going to be back and forth. But I think when it comes to the second half... I think that Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker, and what that offense is going to be able to do with Seattle is going to do just enough to get over Tampa here and move on to 7-3, and three, like I said. So that's how I see this game playing out. Kev, I'll kick it to you from here. I mean, Seattle, we say it every week, is in a position that nobody in the world thought they'd be in, right? They're on a four-game win streak. They're leading their division, in which contains the likes of the Super Bowl champs and the Rams, obviously the 49ers and the Cardinals with DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray, who can easily put up 30 points between the two of them when you really think about it. Now, in terms of this particular game, I'm going to go with the Seahawks confidently because like Kyler already said, and we've already seen all season long, the Bucks are a walking inconsistency. One week, the offense is able to move at least somewhat consistent. One week, the defense is able to be consistent. The next week, both of them shit the bed. You're struggling against a weak Excuse me. You struggled against a weak Rams team. Obviously, Cooper Cup goes crazy uh, for a hundred and some odd yards, but gets the bulk of it in one catch. And then, obviously, you know you you stop their run game, but then you can't run the ball yourself. You are able to pressure Matthew Stafford, but Tom Brady's eating turf majority of the game. It's it's so much tit for tat of who's going to be able to do more, who's going to be able to limit the turnovers. And like Kyle already said, both quarterbacks are doing a great job in terms of touchdown-to-interception ratio. Geno's got 15 touchdowns to four interceptions. Brady's got 10 touchdowns to one interception. So it's not like these quarterbacks are throwing and giving the ball away to the other team. It's more so of, are you going to be able to capitalize on third down? Are you going to be able to capitalize on achieving points at the end of drives, whether that's three or seven? I think for the Bucks, they're going to need to capitalize on maximizing drives to the fullest 
to get a full six points in the extra point. I don't think that these drives can end in six because Seattle is a second-half team, in my opinion, and I think that they are going to be able to make adjustments in the second half if they struggle against the Bucks secondary. Obviously, we know that DK Metcalf is a walking mismatch in and of itself. He's a freak of nature. Tyler Lockett is always finding ways to get open all across the field. And, of course, Kyle already talked about their best player offensively outside of Geno Smith it's Kenneth Walker. Out, out of Michigan State, the kid is just absolutely dominating. He's doing everything he needs to do, getting over 100 yards in, in a few of the games he's started since he's relieved Rashad Penny of his starting role. And I think that he is the reason why they are as successful as they are because all the rumors talked about last year was this offense is too run heavy or this offense isn't giving Russell Wilson enough opportunities to throw the ball in, or, or throw them into victory. You don't need to throw the ball 45 to 50 times to win a game. I mean, ask Tom Brady. We already know how that works. If Geno's able to keep it between 25 and 30 attempts, Kenneth Walker gets his obvious you know, 20 to 30 attempts rushing on the ground. The defense plays just solid. They don't need to go and lock Tom Brady and sack him eight times. They just need to be able to keep him in front and limit what the receivers on the Tampa Bay side are able to do. You're going to have to obviously double team Mike, Mike Williams, Mike Evans, because he's the best receiver on this team. Chris Godwin has been a shell of himself since returning from the ACL. Julio Jones had one or two good weeks to start the year and hasn't really done anything since. Obviously, the tight end Otten has been able to step up as of last week, but I don't have faith in this offense to move, especially when Leonard Fournette and this running attack has been basically useless. Uh, when you're putting the ball in your 45-year-old quarterback's hands over 50 times a game, eventually that's going to lead to some turnovers. So I think Tom actually makes some mistakes against this hungry Seattle defense. I think this ends up being a two-possession game, probably by 10 points. I agree with Kyle, somewhere around 27-14. But I think that the Seahawks get a win in Munich, and I think that this is going to be a game that really solidifies Seattle as an official contender in the league because all I keep hearing is they haven't played anybody. Obviously, they've only really beaten two or three good teams realistically you know you can make the argument that the Cardinals aren't exactly good but it's a division opponent so you have to give them credit there but they beat the Chargers they beat the Giants and if they beat the Buccaneers that narrative is going to have to change because the Buccaneers despite them being a quote-unquote bad team they're still a division leader they still have a good defense and they still have Tom Brady on the other end it's the offensive line that's inept not Tom Brady so I think Seattle comes out on top and I agree with Kyle seven and three is going to be their record at the end of that game I actually had it a little bit closer. I had a one possession game at a twenty three to uh, seventeen. So yeah, I think something like that. No, but I think I think you hit the head or you hit the nail right on the head when it came to what Tampa's gonna score offensively. I'm really pessimistic to the idea that they're gonna score over twenty points. They have to show it to me first. And like you said, you know, when it comes to their offensive line, it just has an impact in the whole offense because Kev when we look back to that Rams game that they had this past weekend, you know, Brady was getting the ball out within the first second or two of snapping the ball. Cause he knows he just oh, doesn't he have a lot of time. He, like I got to give him credit with that, that he, he has the wherewithal. It's like, I get this snap. I got maybe a second or two to get rid of it because he can't really eat it when it can't, when it comes to just sitting in the pocket, three, four five seconds, he's just not going to have time. And if he holds on to it too long, it's going to be a guaranteed sack. And we saw the pressure that the Rams were able to bring against Tampa throughout pretty much the entire game. Aaron Donald was a beast, you know, despite the fact that the Rams lost that game. It wasn't because of Aaron Donald in that defense. It was the fact that their offense, led by Matt Stafford, just couldn't get anything going. And the Rams have had similar issues as well compared to Tampa. But I think the one thing that I'm going to be paying attention to, especially with Seattle here, is are they essentially just going to stack the box really heavily, you know, seven, eight deep, and force Tampa to pass? Because we've seen it time and time again 
where the defenses that the Bucs are going up against, they're not afraid of the run. You know, Leonard Fournette is maybe getting two to three yards per carry. And Horrible. it just hasn't been it hasn't been effective for them. And they pretty much know, as far as the defenses are concerned, if they could put Tampa in a third or five or longer, that bodes incredibly well for them in the long run. Just because Tampa really hasn't shown to convert on third downs consistently throughout the year. I mean, they could do it time to time, but not consistently. So, you know, I, I will give Brady some credit, the fact that he's been able to limit the amount of turnovers. He would rather take a punt than, you know, force a turnover and, you know, have the defense work with a limited field after that. So I think I think something that we also may have to kind of take into account is if this game gets ugly, if it gets grimy, where both teams are struggling to move the ball offensively, look for special teams to play a huge factor here. We saw that in the Rams game last week where field position was absolutely critical for both the Rams and the Bucks, and that's what it really largely became in that game. If this game turns in favor of the Bucks, where they can kind of make it ugly, I'm telling you, both punters are going to have to be effective here as well. So, And Tampa's special teams has been able to show, when given the right opportunities, to really pin the opposing offense in a really tough situation where you know they're pinning the ball within like the 10-yard line, sometimes within the 5. So you know, definitely look for that to be a factor as well. If the Bucs win that game, it's simply just because their, their defense plays up to snuff and probably exceeds expectations and really puts a damper on what the Seahawks can do offensively because the Seahawks have the, they got the pieces to work with. It's just whether or not that they can beat that Tampa secondary because that's, it's really been the only thing that's been holding up for Tampa's defense at this point. They're just not giving up a lot of points outside of the KC game. That KC game was an aberration for them, but we'll, we'll move on to our next segment. So we actually got a really good Sunday afternoon matchup between the Vikings and the Bills. I mean, Kev, th- this arguably could have been a primetime game, game of the week. as yeah, well, this, just, this, just because, because, I mean, you got the Vikings who are sitting at 7-1. and one. They are absolutely running away with the NFC North at this point. It, to be quite honest with you, Kev, there's a very good chance that they could probably win the division within probably the next three to four weeks if they just continue to win football games. And if the other teams in the NFC North continue to falter, the Vikings pretty much have a stranglehold on the division if they don't even have that already. And then when we look at the Bills, the Bills are sitting at 6-2. and two. They're coming off of a pretty tough loss on the road to the Jets. Uh, they still are in first place in the AFC East, but that AFC East, is, the AFC East is getting super competitive. All four teams in that division are over 500. And if the Bills falter in this game, you know the Jets are going to be right there. The Jets are only one loss behind the Bills in the loss column. And if the as Bills well are Miami. not... If the Bills are not on their P's and Q's here going into this Vikings game, they could potentially find themselves out of first place, which, you know, 10 weeks into the season, I don't think you or I had that situation potentially happening at this point in the season. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, in this Sunday matchup, we got the Vikings going up against the Bills, which is definitely one of the best games of the week as far as I see it. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? This is all dependent upon two words. Josh Allen. Well, three, his availability. You know what I'm saying? Like Josh Allen's availability. So he's listed as day-to-day. It's his throwing arm, his elbow. Uh, They're thinking it could be with his UCL, his ulnar collateral ligament with some nerve damage and whatever have you. So 
we don't know what's going to happen. As of right now, we can't even dictate an, an assumption on what we think is going to happen because we're not doctors. We don't know if he's going to play and if he does, if it's going to make it worse. So I'm going to go with this prediction based off of if they play in terms of if he plays. If Josh Allen plays, I think the Bills bounce back because I think that the Vikings have not played a competitive football team realistically since they played the Dolphins three weeks ago. And that game was a lot closer than it needed to be because the Dolphins almost came back in that fourth quarter. But again, this is neither here nor there. You can play what ifs all you want in this league and in all of sports for that matter. But I think the Bills will be angry. I think the Bills are going to find a way to bounce back because they saw defensively they were not the team that they want to be as the league's number one overall defense. The Jets ran all over them. Zach Wilson was able to scramble for a couple of extra yards as well. And just overall, the Jets were able to really play significant stifling defense against Stephon Diggs and the MVP candidate in Josh Allen. Now, you can chalk that up to, oh, he was injured. Oh, he was forcing it. Oh, he was the one that was running the ball too much. Kyle and I have been saying this for years. Since Josh Allen has come into this league, he is the full heart and soul of this team. You have solid running backs. On, on, on this team, you have James Cook, you have Devin Singletary, you traded for Naeem Hines. You need to lean on your running backs to play efficient football. You cannot have your star quarterback running the ball 9 to 15 times or 10 to 15 times and taking big unnecessary hits. I mean, look, he's already hurt his throwing arm. You, you can't have, afford to have him hurt a shoulder, a knee, a foot, a, God forbid something significantly tears, you know, knock on wood. You need to be able to play smart football. And I think that the Buffalo Bills offensively need to wake up and realize you cannot continue to put your quarterback's future and your obviously your franchise's winning chances in jeopardy. Josh Allen needs to sit back if he plays, plays this one consecutive, uh, uh, um, plays this one conservatively, excuse me, and really lean on this running game. I think that Minnesota might fold if they're consistently putting stuff, putting up. Put dropping players into coverage because you're going to obviously assume that Josh Allen's going to throw this ball 40 to 50 times. If you were to knock them off, play out of the shotgun, really have uh, your running backs play out of the draw, play out of the pistol, keep them off balance with maybe some RPOs and some checkdowns to the tight ends. I really think that Dawson Knox is a really big mismatch at that position because he is so big. He is able to get yards after the catch. And because his catch radius at his size is relatively uh, above average as well. So when you have Stephon Diggs and whatever have you also, I think that you need to be able to utilize him in the short yardage as well. Limit those big throws downfield. I know that's what you're known for, but you have to be able to preserve that arm. Now, I will go on the other side and say, if Buffalo plays the way that they did last week, Dalvin Cook's going to kill them. Dalvin Cook is going to run all over this team. He is one of the league's best backs when given the chance. And you you have Justin Jefferson on the other side. Now, I know Tredavious White potentially could be playing in this game. That is also another situation that we need to keep an eye on because he was activated last week from the, I think it was the pup, something like that. I forget what it is. I'm looking at the injury report. And Jordan Poyer's questionable. Tremaine Edmonds is questionable. Dane Jackson. So I'm not seeing Tredavious White here. I'm actually going to just continue to scroll because I want to make sure before I make a prediction fully that he is available. So he was listed as questionable just a few days ago. Uh, Sean McDermott says that White is still not ready to play, but is considered day-to-day heading into Sunday's game against the Vikings. So it could happen that he returns, and if he does, that's going to bode well for them to be able to put him in front of Justin Jefferson. But now we have to flip this the other way. If Josh Allen doesn't play, 
I think Minnesota walks all over them. I think that Justin Jefferson is going to kill it. I think that Minnesota defense is going to be swarming. Zadarius Smith is going to be all over Case Keenum's face. And if they don't change this methodology of just pass, 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 Case Keenum is not Josh Allen. Case Keenum will not be doing those quarterback sneaks. Case Keenum will not be doing those RPOs. So you're going to have to solely rely on those running backs. And if you're playing from behind and you have to put the ball in Case Keenum's hands, I don't really have the, 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 the faith and him to be able to lead this team past the Vikings, who are one of the hottest teams in football. So again, this is all solely dependent on Josh Allen. If Josh plays, I have Buffalo winning. If Josh does not, it's simple and easy. Minnesota moves to 8-1, and one, and they take a firm grasp of the NFC North. Kev, I think you laid it out perfectly there. There's really not much for me to add. Um, it's really kind of dependent on whether or not Josh Allen plays or not. And... I think if Josh plays, I think they win this one in a relatively close battle. I think it would probably be like a one-possession game that would decide it. But if he doesn't, I don't have faith that Case Keenum is going to get it done for the Bills. You know, and that's despite the fact that the last time that I think we saw him, he was actually a member of the Vikings. And I think he was the quarterback that led them on that the Minneapolis Minnesota Miracle. Yeah, the Minneapolis Miracle where he threw to Stephon Diggs against the, uh, the Saints in the divisional round. I think it was a divisional round. But we haven't seen him in a long time. He's been holding a clipboard for the last couple of years. So, you know, if he gets to start, we'll see whether or not that he could kind of shake off the rust just because he has not gotten a lot of playing time. So, you know, if I had to pick this one, just based off of where we stand, based on the injury reports at this current moment in time, I am going to go with the Bills in this one simply just because if Josh Allen plays, and I'm going to assume that he's going to play, I just don't think that the Vikings defense is going to hold up in the long run. When the Vikings have been tested this year by what I would consider top-tier talent in the NFL, they have struggled to contain the opposing offenses that they're going up against. The Dolphins, like you said, Kev, was a team that they relatively struggled defensively. And then when we look back to the Monday night game, I know they're famous when it comes to Kirk Cousins and primetime games. Uh, they didn't hold up as well. you know. And you tie that in with Kirk Cousins just looked like an absolute train wreck against that Eagles defense. You had the result that ended up being where they just got smoked by the Eagles. And I would say that this is another test for the Vikings to see where they stand about halfway through the season. And don't get me wrong, they have the requisite pieces to be able to win this game. It's just, I don't think they're going to be able to execute at the level that they've been playing at essentially the entire season. I mean, they're at a 7-1 record. You can only play against the teams that you're going up against. So I got to give them respect for you know being this good so far in the season and essentially wiping out the rest of the competition in the NFC North just because it's not even that competitive a division right now. But to me, this is probably the best team or the second best team that they've gone up against in the season. And I just don't know if they're going to have the execution to be able to get past Buffalo here. Buffalo is coming off of a really bad game against the Jets. And I imagine that they're just as pissed off as Josh Allen was in that post-game press conference where he said, you know, he was he was essentially one of the reasons why they lost that game, that he's got to play up to a higher standard than he did against the Jets. He had two interceptions in that game against the Jets, and that was despite the fact that the Bills got off to a relatively good start against the Jets. They just couldn't score in the second half against New York. They only scored three points in that half, or in the second half, to be more specific. And I think if Josh Allen is playing for the Bills in this game against the Vikings, you know, it's, it's not only how you start, it's how you finish. And I think going up against that Vikings defense, which is known to give up points when tested, 
I think the Bills could still put up 25 to 30 points against this defense, and I don't have the faith that Kirk Cousins, with the pieces, despite the fact that they have Dalvin Cook and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, to be able to carry them to the promised land in this game. So just based off of the circumstances right now, I got the Bills winning this one by a possession. I would say that they win this one by the score of 30 to 23. They bounce back from that bad loss to the Jets last week. And this would be one of the times where when it comes to Minnesota, they lose one of those one possession games. They've really been struggling in years past to win those one possession games. This year, it's been the opposite. They've been able to win those one possession games. And even though they haven't been convincing in a lot of their wins this year, they're at least getting W's at the end of the day. I don't think that's the case here. I just think that they have too much of an uphill battle in this game against the Bills. And I think the Bills find a way to bounce back in Week 10, but in a relatively close fashion. That's just how I see it. It's just so hard to really predict. I mean, dude, we could be talking about this Saturday, like right before kickoff, like a couple of hours. We're not going to know until the decision is made in terms of whether Josh will play or not. And injuries like this are, 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 are crucial. This isn't a quarterback's opposite arm. This isn't a quarterback's hip. Not that a hip could, couldn't could be hindering of a quarterback being able to play at his fullest capabilities. This is his elbow yep. on his throwing arm. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about a UCL, that's the ligament that baseball players have Tommy John on, and that's the issue where pitchers get shut down for the year. Now, I know that throwing a baseball is a lot more unorthodox than throwing a football, but at the same time, you're still putting strain on that part of your arm. And if they don't take care of this, Josh Allen could likely have Tommy John. It's not a procedure that's unheard of just to baseball players. So this needs to be monitored severely. And I'm not saying that this game is an easy game by any means, even though the Vikings haven't necessarily played anybody competitive. But if Josh were to tweak this and make this worse and have to be shut down for a significant time or be shut out for the season, that would immediately put the Bills season in complete turmoil. So Buffalo's got to really focus on the short term right here and say, is it worth risking our franchise for this week where we know he can come back a week later a little bit more effective? Or is this something that we can continue to treat on a day-in, day-out basis? This whole game has turned into the narrative of will Josh play? This isn't will the Bills bounce back or can Minnesota continue this run? It is, is Josh Allen going to be available at one o'clock in Buffalo? Yeah, and there's no, I wouldn't say there's an absolute guarantee that he's going to play on no. Sunday. But, Kev, do you know how he actually hurt that elbow? I don't, realistically. So, I saw him kind of grabbing at it throughout the game, but I didn't so, know if that was in the last quarter. Or... So I think the play in particular where he might have injured it was actually at the end of the game, it was in the fourth quarter. And the Bills were down by three. The Jets had just put up a go ahead field goal with under two minutes to go. And Josh Allen was, you know, rearing back to pass. And as he was, you know, ready to, you know, bring his arm forward, uh, one of the Jets' defensive linemen basically stripped him. But it was like basically his elbow was already kind of flexed to begin with when he got hit. And then as he was bringing, you know, his his forearm forward to throw the ball, that's when he got hit. And I think it was just like the force of that arm motion going forward. I think that's right. what probably tweaked that UCL in his elbow. And look, when it comes to UCLs, uh, they, they can be very difficult injuries to bounce back from. Now, we don't know the extent or the severity of the injury that Josh sustained in that Jets game. I think for me personally, if I just had to guess, granted, I'm not a doctor, so you know, take my words with a grain of salt here. He probably sprained that ligament 
could have probably pulled it. Now, if he outright tore it and he's just going to play through it, I mean, I got to give the dude credit for that if he could be able to play effectively through that because that is not an easy injury to play through. I think if he tore it, we, we would have definitely seen something a lot he, more I think visible. I think he'd be out. I don't think he'd be able to play with that because yeah. that's your that's your nerve. Like that's the ability to feel and hold. Like if you can't and, feel you gripping the football, like you're shot. And, and we've seen multiple bl- baseball players in the past sustain that injury. And I, dude, those guys are writhing in pain. You know, in some cases, when it comes to that ligament tearing in the elbow, it is not a fun injury in any way, shape, or form. But to me, more than likely, he probably sprained that ligament if i had to guess which is still you know it's a bitch to deal with but you know i think it's a world better than tearing it and had we seen him tear it or it it, it had come out by like adam schefter or somebody who's an nfl insider we would have probably heard that by now but agreed i think at this point it's like sean mcdermott said i think it's gonna be a day-to-day thing and if case keenum's gotta get the start so be it you know it, it is kind of it, it it's kind of what it is at this point just gonna have to monitor it uh, from this point forward. Now, our next game of topic is going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, we got the Dallas Cowboys going up against the Green Bay Packers. Uh, just to give you guys a quick preview of this game, the Dallas Cowboys sit at a 6-2 and two record. The Packers are sitting at a 3-6 and six record, and they have looked like an absolute tire fire the last, I would say, five to six weeks. They have not been a competitive football team, and they are slowly losing their grip at any sort of potential playoff chances towards the end of the season. Uh, When it comes to the Cowboys, uh, the Cowboys are still in the thick of it. Uh, That NFC East is extremely competitive this year. Obviously, the Eagles are at the number one spot in that division. And then we got the Cowboys and the Giants uh, at the same record at 6-2. and And they're coming off of a bye week. So it'll be interesting to see how the Cowboys bounce back after their bye week. The game before their bye week, Kev, I mean, they ran all over the Bears. They almost put up 50 points in the Bears in that, I believe it was week eight to be specific. Yeah, 49 points, bro. Yeah, Tony Pollard had three touchdowns in that game. I appreciate my dude, Tony, for getting three touchdowns for me in fantasy. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the Cowboys bounce back uh, from their bye week. But overall, should be a fun, interesting matchup uh, when we see these two teams go at it on Sunday. So, Kevin, to kick this one to you, we've got the Cowboys and the Packers going at it on Sunday. Who do you think is going to come out on top and why? Oh, this is easy. This is Dallas. I can choose them blindly in this. I would probably bet a significant amount of money if I had to on Dallas. I have no faith in Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers looks like he doesn't care anymore. The beef that he has on the sideline with LaFleur, what he's saying in terms of throwing shade at him in the media, like we need to simplify the offense. Then they ask LaFleur, what is Aaron referring to when he talks about simplifying? He's like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Like, Aaron has been saying this since he's been interviewed on both on the Pat McAfee show and other independent podcasts for Barstool that LaFleur has overcomplicated a simple system, in his opinion. I mean, Aaron Jones has been inconsistent this year. So has A.J. Dillon. The injuries to the wide receiver core. Robert Tunyon is basically an, a non-factor. And Aaron is just absolutely frustrated. After he throws three interceptions last week against arguably one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the league in Detroit, um, his confidence just seems completely gone. I mean, and you can see it. Kyle and I have said this a number of times all season. The chemistry with the wide receivers just is not there, whether that's miscommunication on which way to break with a route, miscommunication on where Aaron is going to put the ball in a certain route, or just quite quite frankly, Aaron isn't making the right read. 
And I know that's hard to say considering he's a back-to-back MVP in this situation, but I just cannot put faith that this team can put together a win against one of the best teams in the NFC, let alone one of the best teams in the NFL. We know that Dallas's defense is relatively solid. We know that D- Dak Prescott has shown that he can be back to uh, full capacity, back to full strength as of his last performance against the Bears. We saw that even without Ezekiel Elliott, that this running game and this running attack is very consistent and very stout. Zeke will be back, so he'll be getting the nod from the knee sprain, but... That one-two punch, if Zeke can stay healthy, is a solid, a solid one-two tandem. So I, I think that Dallas runs away with this one. I think this one can easily get out of hand. Now I know it's in Lambeau, but I have no faith. It, it's it's like repetitive here. I think that Dallas blows them out. Honestly, I think this is easily a fourteen to seventeen point differential because Aaron Rodgers has not been able to keep the ball away from the other team. Aaron Rodgers has been getting hit consistently in ways that he shouldn't. And then of course you have Trayvon Diggs, one of the better corners in football. He's going to be lining up a bunch uh, against a bunch of random scrubs, Sammy Watkins, and, and and the rest of that cast. There's not really anybody that intimidates me, so Trayvon's probably going to have a good game, and uh, that limits your options whenever he's lined up on somebody. Well, I can't throw it that way because he doesn't even know what fucking route he's running, let alone throwing in the direction of a ball hawk. So that like locks down one side of the field. In coincident, in coincidentally, if that's a word, in whatever you know what I'm trying to say. It's a coincidence that he can't throw that way, not because the receiver can't catch or the receiver doesn't know the play, but because you have one of the better corners on that side to just say, you know what, I'm just going to leave him over there and I'm going to look this way. I just, I, I, I'm i in shock that I'm saying I'm picking Dak Prescott over Aaron Rodgers in this particular matchup because that's not a sentence I thought I would have had to say in my lifetime, but here I am picking Dallas to go 7-2 and two and continuing, continuing to chase the tails of the Philadelphia Eagles until they meet again on Christmas Eve. I got Dallas by a lot. Kev, I mean, you basically stole my thunder here. I got the Cowboys in an absolute route in this Week 10 matchup. I, it's pretty much how you outlined it. I have no faith in the Packers to do anything consistently on the offensive side of the ball. Kev, they're coming off of a game where they scored nine points against the Lions. Nine. The Lions scored, what, 15 points in that Week 9 matchup? So it's not like the the Lions like blew them off the field offensively. You lose a game like that, that's atrocious. And not only that, Kev, the Packers have lost every game, what, in their last four to five matchups? Yes, they're a five loss in a row, yeah. That's just atrocious. And it's like you said, you pretty much outlined it for me as far as I see it. It's just the chemistry issues have just been so staggeringly bad for Green Bay that... To be quite honest with you, Kev, if they're not careful, they could finish in last place in the NFC North. And I never envisioned that scenario. We'll see how the rest of the season plays out. But if they play like this, they're going to struggle to win any more football games for the foreseeable future. And you compare that with the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, the Cowboys are one of the best teams in the NFC this year. And not only that, you know, now that Dak Prescott's back in the fold and you tie that in with what Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard are doing in the ground game, that offense has been extremely consistent. They put up almost 50 points against the Bears in week eight before their bye. And Tony Pollard just had a whale of a game, had three touchdowns, ran all over that Bears defense. And if the Cowboys are able to win that line of scrimmage once again against this Packers front four, there's a very good chance that Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard can combine for at least 150 to 175 yards rushing if they desire to run the ball that effectively. It really just kind of depends on what they could do on the offensive line and those personnel hit their blocks. And not only that, I got to kick it to Dallas's defense here. Dallas's defense has been very opportunistic this year. 
And not only that, with them forcing turnovers, they've been getting pressure consistently on the quarterback. You could say that Micah Parsons at this point in the season is one of the top two, top three candidates for Defensive Player of the Year. The guy has eight and a half sacks, and they're he's bringing pressure consistently this season. It's not like, oh, he takes one game off here or there. No, it's very consistent. If he's not getting sacks, he's getting pressures, he's getting hurries, he's getting the opposing quarterback to get the ball out in a quick, timely manner just because that quarterback knows what he's going to deal with. And going into this game, Aaron Rodgers is going to have his hands full when it comes to this defensive line that the Cowboys have. Not only that, you got Demarcus Lawrence and you got Trayvon Diggs in the secondary. I mean, this is going to be a very tough matchup for the Packers simply just because the Packers from a wide receiving core perspective, they just don't have the personnel to be able to effectively get catches to extend drives and put the Packers in a position to be able to score points. It's just not going to happen. So when I see this game playing itself out, granted it is in Lambeau, so there is a little bit of a challenge when it comes to the Cowboys going up to Green Bay, but I think Dallas runs away with this one. I think they win this one by two touchdowns. I think you just combine the fact with what the Cowboys are doing offensively with what they're doing defensively. I think they could, they could put up 28 to 31 points in this game, and I think the Packers are going to be lucky to score 14 to 17 points here. I have to see some sort of spark from the Packers at this point to tell me that I have some sort of faith in Aaron Rodgers to lead drives and score touchdowns, and I just haven't seen that from him this year. He's turning the ball over way too uh, way too consistently as far as I see it, and you compare this year to what he had in his last two MVP seasons, he's almost matching the interceptions that he's thrown this year specifically to those MVP seasons, and we're only in week 10. So they, the Packers are in a really dicey situation. There's a very good chance that they could lose six straight games here. And as far as I see it, Kev, we already said that their season was effectively over when they lost last week to the Lions. I think this would just basically confirm it if they lose to Dallas this upcoming weekend. But I don't see any positive way forward here for the Packers. I think the Cowboys run away with this one. They bump up to 7-2 and two on the season. And I think this is, this is it for the Packers. The Packers lose this game. It's over. We said it last week, and this would just outright confirm it as far as I see it. Because the Packers, I don't think they can effectively win games in this manner. The chemistry issues are just too big to bear at this point, and the Cowboys have been on a roll. So I got the Cowboys all day in this one. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to harp on this one too too much just because we've kind of broken down extensively what we believe is going to happen, which is at the end of the day going to be a blowout in favor of Dallas. Um, you have to look at this and say, if Green Bay loses, right, like what Kyle just said, their season's over, they would have to effectively win out for just a chance at a wild card. And when you look at the competitive teams in the NFC as just a cohesive unit, that involves the, the, like, the, the likes of the Eagles, the Vikings, the Cowboys, the Giants, the Seahawks. Obviously, in the NFC South, you have the tire fires that are over there, but that's, that's automatically taking away a spot in either Atlanta or Tampa Bay. Then you have to look at the 49ers on the fringe. Then you also have to look at, um, of course, now I'm going to forget, uh, 
Uh, you know what? I mean, I, well, I for, well, I'm literally missing a team, and it's going to piss me off when I remember who so, it is. So, after so, the so, take. so, I have the standings right here. So, I mean, you know, let's take out the division leaders for a second, and let's just kind of focus on the wild card teams, just because there's no oh, way in the hell Giants. the Packers. That's who the hell I was going to say. The, the Packers are not winning the NFC North this year. I mean, it's over. It, I mean, they're like four or five games back, and the Vikings would have to completely fall apart for the Packers to be even competitive. And then the Packers, like you said, would have to win out the rest of their games. And not only that, I know the Bears are sitting at a 3-6 and six record, but at least they've shown some sort of glimmer of hope for the future just with the way that Justin Fields has been playing the last couple of weeks. If I remember correctly, I think in fantasy specifically, he's been like the highest-ranked player as far as scoring is concerned in like the last month. So he's yeah, been, been kind of crazy. He's been doing numbers, not just Ooh. on the field, but in fantasy. Yeah. So if we look at the, the landscape here... In the NFC, as far as the wild team card, uh, the the wild card teams are concerned, well, the Cowboys and the Giants are going to get the first two, as far as I see it, just because both have a six and two record respectively, and even if the Eagles were to fall, the Eagles would fall back into a wild card spot. But I don't see the Eagles uh, losing that grip on first place in the NFC East, just because their schedule's too easy. They don't really have any what I would consider really tough matchups careful, outside. Careful. Outside of the NFC East matchups that they have left. So, I, Kev, they have a relatively easy schedule by all things considered. They're not playing against what I would consider juggernauts. They're not going up against the Bills. They're not going up against the Chiefs. They're not going up against... Oh, they play the Vikings. Well, no, they don't play the Vikings. They already played the Vikings. So yeah, they that's played already... the Vi yeah I'm, I'm pulling their schedule so, up right now. There's there's another couple teams that they have to play at some point. They have to point play the Titans? They, they, the got, they got they they got uh the coming after this game on Monday night. They got they Dallas. Got a, a game at no, they got a game at Indy. That's a dub for them. They oh, have yeah. a game at Green Bay uh in Philly Sunday night, dub that'll, for them. Tennessee's a, a tough one. The Giants are a tough one. The Eagles have a hard time stopping the run and the Bears are one of the best running teams in the league, so that is a game to watch for. That could be a sleeper game. Then you have Dallas in Dallas. The Saints is going to be uh, at home uh, right they'll, they'll before uh, on New Year's Day. They should win. win that. Should and win then that to one. close it out, they have their closing game uh, at home against New York. They have about four games that are going to be very, very tough for them. I would say the Titans present them a challenge because they got to slow Derrick Henry. Again, they but, are not a good team at stopping the run. And then after that, what the Bears? Yeah, well, I, I mean, Justin Fields is like the most mobile quarterback in the league right now, and that includes that a, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Is that is that a home game for them? Is it a home that game? That's going to be at Chicago. Be interesting to see how in that December that could be a snow game. But to to round this back to the original point, right, right, right. Sorry, tangent. The, the the Packers, I don't think they have any viable pathway here for any sort of wild card spot because the Cowboys and the Giants or the Eagles are going to get two of them. I, I think two teams are coming out of the NFC. East this year Without a for the what, and then after that, I'm looking at the rest of the conference here. It's either going to come down to what the Falcons or the 49ers. You know, maybe the 49ers hop the, the Seahawks by the end of the year, but Seattle's been way too consistent for me to say that at this point. Fact. So I'd say probably more than likely, it'd probably be the 49ers if things were to maintain as right now, as of right now, with the division leaders in the NFC uh, standings or in those divisions. But yeah, when it comes to the Packers, I think they're screwed. I we think that we we thought that they were screwed last week 
after they lost at Alliance. So I don't see any viable pathway forward for them unless, like you said, they win out every game and then get some help from some other teams. I just don't see that happening. That's so, not happening at all. But yeah, it's just pretty much, I think that's pretty much the landscape or the reality of the situation when it comes to the Packers. And the question is with, with Green Bay, what do you think is going to happen with them this offseason? It it's got to be clean. It's, it's clean house. Either either Rodgers retires straight up, he's got to leave, but he signed a three-year extension. So even if he was to come back out of retirement, they have to trade him because they have the, his rights. There's a no-trade clause. You think LaFleur gets fired? I don't know. It, it's, you can't blame LaFleur for the fact that they have no receivers. That has nothing to do with him. I think it's if anything, office. you have to clean house. You got to clean house in the front office. The, it's not the defense because the passing attack is one of the better passing defenses in the league. I mean, the running attack, again, that goes back to the offensive line. That goes to the play calling. The offense is struggling because of LaFleur. This is his first losing season since he's been the head coach. I don't think you fire him after this. I think it's a front office change or a brand new quarterback. And it sure as it isn't going to be Jordan Love, at least in my opinion. So Aaron's got to go for this team to move forward. But he holds them hostage on the books because he is going to be a Packer and be paid as a Packer for the next couple of seasons. So you're of the mindset that if they were to change quarterbacks from Aaron Rodgers, that they would take a step forward? No, 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 no. They no, take a step forward okay. in terms of holding him hostage on the book. Like they, they, they have to get away from him because he's not a good leader in the locker room. The receivers did not receive the support that they needed in the freaking beginning of training camp. And it's proceeded to go that way as the course of the season progresses. I think that Aaron Rodgers himself is a toxic individual. And if he's removed... Green Bay is going to regress because of the talent that is leaving. But in terms of rebuilding a culture and a, a team that wants to win, they will make that kind of move. So like a moral victory to an extent, but Aaron Rodgers has got to go. It's not Aaron Rodgers completely, but he's just not good for this team anymore. Well, I think and if, if they somebody tells me, if I get another text message from one of my friends that fucking Aaron Rodgers is coming to Indy, I swear to Christ, I will block your number. I will block you on social media. I will I will come after you. I swear I will. Because I got at least four or five texts as Green Bay loses. Yo, man, get ready. That's going to be your boy next year. The, mm. way our, our, the way our offensive line is playing, <laughs> bro, we would have to at go the, and legitimately get retire. Michael Vick a time machine, and we're going to need to say, listen, you're not throwing the ball. You are running every single play. There's no, there's no other sort. There's no choice. I, I really think the Packers have kind of painted themselves on a corner where they have really no good way out. Nope. But they're zero. They're trapped. But to me, what sort of alternative would you put at the quarterback position that would put them in a favorable, a favorable position? Draft. Then, Kev, they're taking. This is favorite. this is a this is a stacked quarterback draft in terms of the class coming out. Draft. You have three wins. You might scrimmage up five, maybe six. You're not going to draft five straight quarterbacks within the first couple picks, depending on who's up there. I know that Indy is going to need a pick. Detroit may go after a pick, depending on what Jared Goff's contract looks like in terms of what they are going to do. Obviously, Carolina needs a quarterback. There's there's a lot of teams. Green Bay may even trade up to get one. It really depends on what they're willing to do. But this is going to be a full rebuild, in my opinion, because the offense outside of Aaron Jones is poop. I, I, just, I just want to play this out here for a second. So you're thinking that if the Packers draft a quarterback, despite all the issues that they have in the offensive line and the chemistry issues that they have with the receivers, that they would actually take a step forward with a yes. younger quarterback yes. than with Aaron Rodgers. Okay. Yes. Okay. I Tell me I'm wrong. He started we we talked about this a few months ago when he was like, 
oh, there's errors in practice. They have to do better. This is ridiculous. We're professionals. They need to play better. Like, we knew that that was not a good way to start rapport building with the young cast that he knew was going to be at a disadvantage in the NFL as it is. You didn't build confidence with them. And for those of you saying, oh, it's the NFL, grow up. No, at the end of the day, you need to build them up. You don't need to blow them up in the media. You probably give them enough on the field. The coaching staff probably gives them enough on the field. They get enough in film. You don't need to bash them publicly to lower their confidence that much further and then alienate them to where they don't even want to play with you. And then when they make a mistake on the field, you're sitting there throwing tantrums like Tom Brady. You may not be throwing the tablet, but you've been seen like flipping out. That make that doesn't make people want to so, play better. That doesn't make younger receivers play better. So I'm just kind of projecting here. When it comes to the quarterback class that's coming into the fold from this from the collegiate side going into this year, are there any prospects that you see that could rival somebody like essentially like someone who had like a type of hype compared to Trevor Lawrence, Justin no. Herbert? No. And like nobody, like, no, no, I mean, nobody like that. Like, I, mean, I mean, I, I think that the class is full of average to above average quarterbacks in the NFL. They're 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 going to be solid playmakers. I really like that guy out of Kentucky. Will I always get his last name wrong? I think it's Lear or something like that. I I seen him play against the Gators. I see the way that he's good at his decision making. Um, I do like Bryce Young, but I don't because we all know how Alabama quarterbacks do in terms of mobility. That don't really have that consistency to stay healthy. Like Jalen Hurts is an exception. Tua wasn't a mobile quarterback. Obviously, Mac Jones isn't a mobile quarterback. I don't really like mobile quarterbacks coming out of college. I never did. They just can never stay healthy. Lamar Jackson is, thank God, again, knock on wood, the only exception that I've seen in recent memory outside of Cam Newton. And then who's that other quarterback that, of course, I'm forgetting? Is C.J. Stroud eligible? Oh, C.J. is coming out. That's the other one, of course. How could I forget? Shout out to Tyree. Um that's another quarterback I'm you really got, looking to see. And you got what? You got Bo Nix coming out of Oregon. Is he eligible this year or is it next year? It should be this year, but I, I eh, Bo is like, eh. I, I mean, don't really have a lot of faith in Bo. Justin Herbert came out of Oregon, my guy. Like, I, what's the last quarterback to come out of Oregon that played meaningful in the NFL? Marcus Mariota sucked in Tennessee. Justin's really kind of been the only one who stood out. And so he has far. a losing record in the NFL. He is 19 and 20 in his career. So that could be attributed to being overhyped. That could be attributed to his weapons being hurt this season and his defense being hurt. I don't know. We're not going to go down the rabbit hole of what if quarterbacks could be I, and all this I, different stuff. I, Bottom I, line, I, I, I Green say, Bay needs a new system, period. I, that would basically be... That would mean they that need, they're going to... They need a whole new offense, bro. They have no receivers. Aaron Jones is locked on a big contract, so he's not going anywhere. They have no money to pay any big free agents. Like This I, is going to be a painful three to four years of Green I, Bay, especially I, if Aaron stays. I think you ride with LaFleur, despite whatever sort of result I agree. happens this year. It's, it has so, nothing to do with LaFleur. Eh, maybe a little bit. It probably deserves a little bit of culpability. but Play calling, like, complexities in the playbook. But, yeah, you can, you can make the argument. I, for me... I don't think it would help them if they just dropped Rodgers and decided to go to the draft. Because to me, well, execution, you know, from a younger quarterback is one thing. That's always kind of one thing in question. It's whether or not they could be able to protect him. And, you know, granted, we've seen some solid prospects come out of college the last couple of years. And they haven't really performed that well. Trevor Lawrence has struggled with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know that's a, they're kind of a tire fire of a situation. Things have improved a little bit, but. He didn't walk into a great situation to begin with. You and never I, will if you're a top five pick, period. You know you're going into an organization that's going to yeah. be asked. And Mac especially jo- at the quarterback position. Mac Jones probably had the most stable situation 
Correct. Like he got drafted. Bill Belichick. He wasn't, a, he wasn't a top Patriots five pick though. System. Yeah. And no, then not maybe, at all. What round? What uh? Do you, what pick do you remember? Jalen Hurts was. What was his? Number? Jalen Hurts was a second round pick. Kind of worked out for them in their favor. They at least have a somewhat. They got a decent offensive line to work with. So they arguably have a top three offensive line in terms of protection, time in the pocket, all that kind of stuff. And with what they won with the RPO, it's been phenomenal. It works. It works perfectly for him and Nick Sariana's offense. But again, we're we're, we're veering off of what we need to talk about. We mentioned Justin Herbert and there's a big game that Justin Herbert is going to have to go out and play this weekend in San Francisco. This is going to be the Sunday night game that was flexed. This is going to be a big one. The Chargers travel to San Fran to go out and play Jimmy Garoppolo and that San Francisco defense. San Francisco is coming off of a bye. The Chargers are coming off of a nail-biter against the Atlanta Falcons. So once again, the Chargers are underperforming, in my personal opinion, struggling against a team that I believe that they are clearly better than. But Justin Herbert is still putting up great numbers. 13 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, over 2,200 yards. He's doing what he needs to do as a quarterback. It's, of course, the defense and the inability and inconsistency that the play calling for Brandon Staley. So, Kyle, I'm kicking this your way. Do you believe that Tom's former protege, Jimmy Garoppolo, can bounce back from the bye and take out Justin Herbert and the boys? Or do you believe that the Chargers can finally get on a consistent winning track to try to compete in the AFC West? Kev, I don't have a lot of faith in the Chargers this week simply just because they're going up against a really good defense in the 49ers. And when we look back to the 49ers last game against the Rams, take it with a grain of salt. The Rams have their offensive struggles. I fully understand that. They only gave up 14 points, and that was coming off of an ass-whooping that they suffered against the Kansas City Chiefs the week before. So they definitely kind of learned some of their lessons and definitely bounced back against their NFC West rival in the Rams. And when it comes to this matchup that they have against the Chargers, I still believe it's a favorable one for them simply just because, okay, let's face it, the Chargers have been really up and down this year. And granted, they had... I would consider a nice road win against the Falcons last week, but they were still shaky. They only put up 20 points in that game. Justin Herbert is throwing the ball an insane amount of times, at least 40 to 50 times a game, in some cases over 50 times. And it just seems as if the Chargers are in a situation where it's pass or die. Like they're just rolling with passing the ball pretty much 75 to 80% of the time and to live with the results. And I don't think it's going to work out for them in the long run. And granted, they are sitting, I believe, at a 5-3 and three record and they're kind of holding pace with the Chiefs, but they've largely struggled in some of the games this year where they've gotten absolutely blown out. And I think that if the Chargers aren't careful, they could actually get blown out in this game by the 49ers just because the 49ers have a great defense. They could turn the ball over and they could get consistent pass rushes. And the Chargers have struggled to be able to hold up Justin Herbert in the pocket. I mean, there was a couple games ago where they were playing against the Seahawks. You could look back against even the Jaguars a couple weeks back where they were turning the ball over. Justin Herbert was getting sacked an incredible amount of times. And the Chargers got completely stomped on in those respective games against the Jaguars and the Seahawks. So you look at what the 49ers present them just looking at what the 49ers have on their offensive personnel, Christian McCaffrey, I believe is getting more fully integrated into what Kyle Shanahan is running with their system. And he had a great game uh, looking back to that Rams matchup in week eight, where he had three touchdowns, you know, and they all kind of came in different forms. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Christian McCaffrey continues to build off of that week eight success that he had against the Rams. 
you know, you're looking at what they just have with Jimmy G and Jimmy G has been just very consistent this year. There have been times where I believe that he's needed to elevate his game just because that the 49ers have been relatively up and down depending on which game you refer to. But I think that they have the requisite pieces to go out against the Chargers this Sunday and do what needs to be done. And I think by and large, I just don't have a lot of faith in that Chargers defense to hold up. Whenever they've been tested by a really good offense, they've relatively struggled. And I think this is no exception in this case. I think that the 49ers could put up 27 to 35 points in this game. And if the Chargers are in any way, shape, or form turnover prone in this game, they could lose this one by two possessions as far as I see it. So if I had to put a score on it or just an outright pick, I got the 49ers winning this one. I think they're going to win this one by 10 games. I don't think it's going to be an absolute runaway where the 49ers win this one by like 17, 20 points plus. But I love the 49ers here. They're at home, and I think they're just going to ride the wave of what they had on week eight. They're fully recovered from their bye week in week nine, and I think they get business taken care of in this one. So I've had to put a score on this one. I say they're going to win this one with the 49ers. 34 to 24. I still believe that the Chargers are going to be able to put up points. I wouldn't be surprised though if the 49ers are able to force one or two interceptions off of Justin Herbert. And you tie in the fact that the Chargers wide receiving court is once again dinged up. We don't know whether or not that Keenan Allen's going to be available. I just can't have a lot of faith here with the Chargers. So I got the 49ers all day in this one. And we'll see how they can ride the momentum going into the second half of the season. Uh, I, I couldn't really agree more, honestly, for once. I think you stole my thunder. Um, Justin Herbert's been struggling. The injuries on both sides of the ball offensively and defensively have been a burden for the Chargers. We all knew what they were projected to be in terms of not just within the AFC West, but in the NFL. We thought that this was going to be one of those super teams to an extent, but it just has not gone that way for them thus far. Debo Samuel is coming back for the Niners in terms of coming back healthy. He had the bye week to get uh, to get healthy, get right. CMC is probably getting fresh. He has looked great in his short tenure with the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo has looked solid this year. Brandon Ayuk is getting his good targets. Kittle's getting good looks. The offensive line is improving, but again, still kind of like dwindling and struggling in certain instances. Nick Bosa's got eight and a half sacks this year, so you really have to look at the overall playmakers on both sides of the ball. Fred Warner's just been absolutely just a, a man amongst boys uh, at the middle linebacker position this year. And I, I think that Sam Fran needs to take this next step and say, these are one. this is one of the better teams in the NFL. This is one of the better teams in the AFC. We need to make a statement here. We're coming off fresh off the bye. They struggled against Atlanta. Atlanta beat us. We need to be able to show that we can be a team like the Chargers, especially with their weakened personnel group as they have been. They have not been able to stop the run in terms of the Chargers. They obviously allowed well over 100 yards against Atlanta. I think that CMC is going to have a huge game. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to look really good coming out of the uh, coming out of the bye in terms of getting his favorite weapon back in Debo. Ayuk is going to get single coverage. So it's just a matter of will this team be able to capitalize? Now, I will preview that this could be the 49ers of a couple of weeks ago when they got smacked up by the Chiefs. And of course, they also got embarrassed by the Falcons a couple weeks prior to that as well. So we really need to pay attention to what 49ers team we're getting this week because if they're taking the week off, they could potentially get slapped up by Justin Herbert. Now, obviously, Keenan Allen's questionable. Mike Williams has been ruled out. Austin Eckler's a leading receiver here on this team thus far. So if Austin Eckler's going to be catching a whole lot out of the backfield and you know catching some short routes 
and to, of course, make some yards after the catch. Uh, this could be a little bit of a headache for the 49ers because, again, that's just small chunk plays that drain the clock and, and you know make drives a lot longer, keep the ball away from Jimmy and, and get that defense really tired in San Fran. Um, this could easily become a lot closer. Now, I will say that this one's going to be a little bit closer than what Kyle predicted because I just think that San Francisco, for whatever reason, has, like I said, weeks where they're off, weeks where they're not. And I have a feeling that this one could be potentially a nail-biter and to come down to a game-winning field goal just because... I don't think that both teams are similar, but they are. Obviously, uh, San Fran doesn't have the injuries that L.A. does, but in certain instances, both teams just look very suspect in a lot of ways. Different ways, but still, they look suspect in a lot of different ways. So I'm going to go with San Francisco by a field goal here. I think that this could easily come down to a 28-24 score, 28-24. What am I talking about? 24-27 San Francisco. I did math wrong because I'm ridiculous. Uh, and I got San Fran winning a nail biter, but again, this is going to be a lot closer than what people are anticipating because I think that Justin Herbert has a bounce back week, but I also think that Jimmy Garoppolo could end up playing very, very efficiently. It's just a matter of if both defenses are going to be able to stop the other. I think this is going to be a great game, though, for a Sunday Hope night so. matchup. So for it being flexed, it better be shit. Yeah, so I think to me. We're just going to have to kind of focus on the Chargers here because they've been just riddled with injuries this year. Injuries have not been kind to them. Let's just kind of put it bluntly there. So uh, the fact that they're sitting at a 5-3 and record with all the injuries that they've been dealing with is kind of miraculous as far as I see it. But I just think from an overall perspective, I just think that the 49ers are in a much better position to be able to execute more effectively in this Sunday night matchup. So, um, I mean, if the Chargers were to lose this game, I mean, I think all things considered, they'd still be relatively competitive uh, in the wild card spot just because I, I think the Chiefs are probably still ahead of them uh, when it just comes to overall strength. The Chiefs are still by far the, the better team in that division. And I don't really oh, yeah. see the Chargers hopping over the Chiefs at this point unless the Chiefs were to really take a big leap backwards. I just don't really see that happening. But no, I think when it comes to the 49ers, this is a team that we really need to hone in on because okay, there's a very good chance that if the 49ers really kind of get their act together, this is a potentially a Super Bowl team. Yeah, they have agreed. the pieces to be able to do it offensively and defensively. It's just whether or not that they can be able to win consistently and be able to pull off you know, not one, two game winning streaks, but three, four, five to really put themselves in a much more competitive space not just in the NFC, but within their own division. Because Seattle's still leading the division in a pretty solid manner. And, you know, the 49ers are really going to have to get their act together in the second half of the year to be able to catch up to them if they want to. So, and I don't think that they've dug themselves in a hole that's too big to get out of. So Definitely not, no. I think, I think you know, Seattle's definitely been one of the Cinderella stories in the NFL this year. But the 49ers, I think they got I, I, to me personally, I think the 49ers have a more well-rounded team than the Seahawks do. It's just whether or not that the 49ers live up to the expectations that, to be quite honest with you, I think that they've set for themselves, and I think that you and I have kind of set upon them as well. So, I mean, with that said, uh, we will transition to the last segment that we have for you guys. We're going to kick it over to the NBA for a little bit, and we're going to focus on the Utah Jazz. Now, the Utah Jazz have just been on an absolute tear this year. Um, just looking at their most recent game, which took place on Tuesday night. Um, actually, no, they just won tonight. Wednesday, not Tuesday night. So, 
sorry, Kev, but I know we're recording a little bit earlier. So, um, it being Wednesday, excuse me. The Jazz are sitting at a 10-3 and record. Uh, they're first place in the Western Conference. They've been nothing short of phenomenal. And that's despite the fact that they lost Donovan Mitchell when they traded him to Cleveland. And you know, despite the fact that they've got a lot of younger players to work with, these guys are rising to the occasion. And they've really got out, out to a great start uh, within the first 10 to 15 games of the season. And the results are showing. So, Kev, to kick this one to you, how impressed are you with the Jazz being first place in the Western Conference essentially only 15 games into the regular season at this point? This is ridiculous for me. Uh, this is a team that I 100% assumed would be in full rebuild mode. I mean, the amount of picks that Danny Ainge was able to acquire for his two superstars and Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, um, I genuinely did not see this coming at all. I mean, at that... Larry Markkinen is absolutely hooping right now. I mean, I'm pretty sure he scored over 30 tonight. Uh, Jordan Clarkson's obviously a former sixth man of the year. Mike Conley is Mike Conley. And Taylor Horton Tucker's been playing pretty solid. I mean, for God's sakes, he absolutely eradicated the Lakers in a uh, in a breakaway dunk, if I'm not mistaken. It was kind of one of those, like, pass to a cutter. He was the cutter, and he just put somebody on a poster. Kyle, I don't even know who that was, but that player needs to take a seat because if THT is putting you on a poster, you need to reevaluate yourself. But this team is playing cohesive basketball. There is no alpha male anymore. There is no mega superstar. Everybody is getting good looks. Everybody is playing effectively. They're playing good defense. And I mean, I'm not saying that this run is going to last and they're going to be the number one seed in the Western Conference. But as of right now, this is a confidence booster for a group of guys that the, the NBA community pretty much ruled out. And they were just like, off to Siberia you go now that you don't have anybody competitive to play with. I mean... They are just complimentary basketball to the T. Like everybody's scoring 15 to 20 points. You may have a marketing night where he scores 28 or 30, but overall, the fact that this team is playing as good as they are is just a shock in and of itself, but you can't really critique them. I mean, their last five games have been convincing to an extent. I mean, it starts with the Lakers where they won 130 to 116. The, they beat the Clippers 110 to 102. They beat the Lakers again 139 to 116. They just beat the Hawks and came back. They were down by 10 plus points in the third quarter. They came back and erupted for 40 plus points in the fourth quarter to come back and beat the Hawks. So I mean, they're scoring a lot, but I'm looking at their 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 offensive output, or excuse me, their defensive output. So I'm going to retract my previous statement. They've let over 100 points per game all season long. 102, 126, 121, 108, 101, 101, and the list goes on. Like legit, the lowest points they've allowed this season was against the Mavericks, to where they lost. Like we had beat them, it was 100 points. So Utah's defense is absolute dog shit. So let's let let, let, let like I said, let me retract that statement. They're just able to outscore everybody, and when you have a team that's offensively sound like this, it is pretty scary. Now I will preview that this is where it's also the biggest risk. If you go into a slump, you're not able to stop the ball you're going to start getting blown out the other way. So Utah's got a lot to still figure out. I give them their flowers because they are performing better than anybody in the league, anybody in the media had expected. I do think this luck will run out at some point. Again, they need to start playing better defense, or this is going to be one of those times where a team that's on a historic offensive pace, everybody hits a slump, and that may be too big for them to bounce back from. But again, good basketball thus far. Happy for them. I'm shocked. But still, with the fact that they also have the load of picks that they do coming up in the next year's, the next coming year's drafts, it just means that this team could potentially get that much better, and they're already playing really good basketball. Yeah, I think it's been absolutely staggering the way that the Jazz have gotten off to this phenomenal start. And I think it's safe to say, Kev, when I look at this roster, 
these are a lot of cast-offs from other teams, you know, compared to where these guys really got their start. I mean, when I look at Jordan Clarkson, Mike Conley Jr., Kelly Olenek, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker, Colin Sexton, I mean, all these guys, even, I mean, Laurie Market, I mean, these guys were not necessarily the number one guys on their respective teams before they ended up in Utah. And Kev, they've been absolutely balling out. And it's like you said, they're just absolutely dominating offensively. I think we were looking up the team stats before we started recording, and they're essentially like number one or number two in overall scoring compared to the rest of the league. And that's despite the fact that they don't really have a singular number one option to go to. If I had to kind of guess at this point, you could basically make an argument for either Laurie Markkinen or Mike Conley Jr. You could also make a case for Jordan Clarkson just because he's been absolutely dominating so far in his tenure with the Jazz, and he's really kind of lived up to the same expectation this year in particular. And they're just playing very good complimentary basketball. Like you said, Kev, it's going to be interesting to see how this team transitions into what I would consider like the second quarter of the year, just because we're not even 15 games into the regular season yet. And they, they're they off to an, a phenomenal start. I don't want to discount that. They're the first team in the NBA to get the 10 wins. I don't think anybody had that penned in as the Jazz being that first team to get the 10 wins. So I give them a lot of credit in that regard. To me, it's whether or not that they can live up to that same expectation when the rest of the Western Conference really starts to make a push on them. When I look at teams like Golden State, I know Golden State has not gotten off to a good start this year. They're sub-500 right now, but I expect them to turn it around very soon. You've got teams like the Nuggets. You've got teams like the Clippers, the Suns. All of these teams are going to be pushing the Jazz, and the Jazz got to show whether or not they could rise above their own expectations and be able to knock off those teams that, like I just outlined, you could even throw the Mavs in there as well. And, you know, it's a great start for them, but I got to see how this team plays defensively because on the boards, they're not that strong defensively when it comes to getting rebounds consistently. A lot of this is just predicated on the fact that they're just knocking down shots consistently. They're getting to the free throw line and you got some standout players like Laurie Markkinen and Jordan Clarkson and maybe Mike Conley every now and then really contributing at a high level. But like I said, we're only we're not even 15 games into the season yet. I'm not penning in that the Jazz are going straight to the finals and this is a team that's going to possibly be a dynasty you know, for the next three to five years. It's not the case. They're off to a great start. We'll leave that for where it's at. Now we got to see how this team essentially transitions into the second quarter of the season when I think the rest of the Western Conference is going to start to really start make up. They're going to start to make a push on them. And if the Jazz can keep continuing that momentum, I will just be singing all praises as much as I can about them. But outside of that, they're off to a great start, but we got to see more from them before I really become a full-on believer with the Jazz. But 10-3 start, I got no complaints to say with them right now. They've been a phenomenal team so far. Yeah, there have been a lot of surprising teams in the NBA um, thus far. But, I mean, you know, Utah's definitely at the forefront of who you did not expect to be performing at the rate that they are. But Mm -hmm. that's just sports for you. You can't really consider anybody to be out no matter how bad a roster it looks like on paper, no matter what happened in the offseason. All it takes is one person realistically to spark a group and say, yo, they didn't want us. No teams wanted us. And you know what I'm saying? A a motivational speech like that will really get a bunch of professional athletes kind of rallied around each other. Like, all right, let's show people like, hey, we can still hoop. We may not be yeah. number one options for you guys, but when put together, 
we're a bunch of number twos and number threes, and that's what we need. 15 points here, 10 points there. Like People know their roles, and this is a role-centric yeah. team. Uh, Larry Markkinen definitely does lead this team with uh, 22 points per game this season. Uh, right behind him is going to be Colin Sexton at just about 15. So, I mean, it's not again, it's not really somebody going out there and averaging 30 like a LeBron, like a Joel Embiid. But when you have team camaraderie like this, this is how you win basketball games. And I think that this is why they're performing the way that they are. But I will pump the brakes like I always do this early in the season. This run, and again, in my opinion, will run out because they will hit a slump. And there will be a point to where you're like, shit we can't guard nobody so yep. we'll see or, we'll see what happens as the season progresses or they're just not knocking down shots and teams yeah, can so get into slow. really big yeah. yeah teams can get into cold snaps and that really can throw i wouldn't say their entire season into a tailspin but at least a portion of it yeah so but no i mean as of right now what they're 13 games in right now i gotta give them a lot of credit i don't think Agreed. anybody expected them to be here at this point so hey they're like what they're like six wins ahead of the Golden State Warriors in the win column right now. I wouldn't have had that. Hey, so It all matters when you get to the playoffs in April, May. So we will see yep. what happens. Exactly. Kev, that pretty much, pretty much wraps it up for us, my guy. I've covered a lot of ground here. So if there's anything else that you wanted to bring up, any final thoughts, go right ahead. Nah, man, that's it for me. Um, I know that it is getting on the later half, and I know we still have some content to roll through. And I think that uh, the hurricane that is approaching Florida just started to hit Fort Myers in terms of rain. So I'm probably going to have to walk my puppers. But uh, guys, we've been seeing great numbers. I say it every week lately, and it's just because the podcast for us personally has been on a historic pace in terms of views on all platforms. So, you know, shout out to my partner, as I've been saying. Shout out to you guys for being there uh, from day one and to all of our new followers, new subscribers on whatever aspect of how you found us. We appreciate you for being here. but. Man, the ride has been crazy lately between just posting random segments that normally used to get like five or six views or popping off for a couple hundred, in some instances, a couple thousand. Uh, the shorts are going crazy. The TikToks are, 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 are insane. Even the Instagram reels are just doing what they need to do. So like I said, the, the ride right now is at an all-time high. Hopefully we keep rising and, uh, you know, neighborhood podcast to the moon, baby. Like I said, this is just a lot of fun. Exactly. I mean, Kev, I couldn't have said it any better. Uh, I'll pretty much just round this out like I always do. You know, just appreciate you guys supporting the podcast in any way, shape, or form as you have, whether it's listening to us on the audio platforms. I know, Kev, you and I were going over some of the audio numbers. We've, we've been getting some pretty solid traction in that regard as well. So we definitely appreciate you guys tuning in, whatever sort of platform that you are listening to us on. We definitely appreciate that. Um, when it comes to YouTube, the same thing applies. I just appreciate you guys giving us a look, viewing our content, and hopefully you guys enjoy what we do day in and day out. And don't expect us to slow down anytime soon. We're just ramping it up. Uh, we still got a long way to go for the NFL season. The NBA season just got started. It's like you said, Kev. It's like we're in it. Let's get to it. Yes, sir. And, and I'll pretty much just leave it at that. So with that said, you guys, once again, thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you guys. See you guys next week. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. 
Hi, I'm Lessa Gaudet, host of Her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.